Writer's Advice is a point of connection, a dose of inspiration, and an insight into the creative process of the babes behind the books. I'm your host, Olivia Hillier. Each week, I'll be interviewing authors from around the globe on their creative process and how they got to where they are today and what it's really like inside the industry of publishing. So listen in, take notes, and I hope you walk away inspired, ready to take on the next level of your writing wherever you are in your journey. Hello, writers, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm very excited because this week we have the beautiful Carrie Cox on, who is author of the brand new book, So Many Beats of the Heart. She's actually in her launch week this week. And today we talked to Carrie about taking a leap and turning, using real life as inspiration um, to create beautiful fictional stories. Carrie talks to us about her writing process, creating discipline around the craft, and the best advice she has ever been given as a writer. She also goes into her process of doing research um, into things that she doesn't particularly know or hasn't experienced in her life and how to really bring life and reality to that. So without further ado, please welcome Carrie and enjoy. Welcome back, listeners. Today we have the beautiful Carrie Cox with us, who I am so excited that is joining us for Writer's Advice podcast because she is in the middle of launch week um, with her brand new book, So Many Beats of the Heart. So thank you so much for joining us, Carrie. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So I'm just going to start the podcast with the same question that I usually ask everyone, and that is, Mm -hmm. when did you first discover or have an inkling that you were going to be a writer okay I think it was my grandma actually gave me what I guess was now a journal it was just um, a blank book really and I started to write it like a diary and I did it every day and found that I really enjoyed it but then increasingly I found that I was embellishing the diary to make it more interesting because <laughs> norm, normal life isn't that interesting. Like it's not enough to say, yeah, I watched the ashes test day four all day and then had cheese on toast for dinner. So I started to be a bit more florid with my descriptions and a bit more, uh, I, I guess I was imagining a reader already. And there, even though there wasn't a reader and there was not going to be a reader because it was a diary. But I think that's when I first thought, this is really fun and also this is, there is something to this. This is not just diarising. Writing is um, something, you're creating something new out of nothing. And I guess that's probably the first time I realised that that really appealed to me. Yeah. How old were you then? I think I would have been about eight or nine. Yeah. And were you were much precocious a as. Yeah. <laughs> were you much of a reader young or? Yeah, and again, I have to credit my grandma for this because I only had one grandma, one grandparent, but gee, she was a good one um, because she also introduced me to reading. It wasn't, I didn't grow up in a very, um, what would the word be, <laughs> really house. <laughs> there weren't a lot of books by the, you know, Guinness Book of Records. Yeah. Um, but she was an avid reader and she also was, in addition to being a teacher, she was a friend of the local library. She was a volunteer who put books back on the shelves. So she would often take me with her just to sort of hang out. 
And that was when I was first exposed to stories in every direction. And I also got to borrow books on her card and she gave me my first sort of big book. And when I mean big book, I mean like it was thick, thicker than usual, which was um, Wind in the Willows. And I remember that reading experience as being kind of pivotal, like, wow, what, what beautiful things an amazing book can do. So again, I thank my late grandma for reading and writing, even though she was a maths teacher. <laughs> Go figure. That's excellent. That's such a beautiful gift, though. I think, you know, when you have someone in your life to be able to share stories like that to you, it's such a, it opens up your own imagination. So that's amazing. And look where you are today because of it. So that's great. Yeah. Now, what happened between then? So when you first discovered that you're like, you know, you're a bit of a, you're a bit of a storyteller to your first book being released, I want to say 2010 was, is that correct? Yeah. For Afternoons with Harvey Beam. How did, how did, what was the process from then to to becoming your first time published author? Wow, like a whole chunk of life. Um, <laughs> three three kids, two marriages. Uh, look, I won't get into that. <laughs> a, lot, a lot happened. But from a writing perspective, um, I think it's important to note that I probably I didn't I don't think I really had any other skills or interests at school. I knew from a very early age that I loved to write and that that's what I wanted to do. However, doing that in a creative sense was out of the question. I I knew that I had to um, find some other road in that actually paid bills from the start, and that was journalism. Yeah. And it was a nice marriage anyway because I think I am a writer who is stimulated by people and their real stories. I have a genuine curiosity for every other person in the room. Um, and I want to talk to them all and talk to them now. And that's always been the case. So I went to university, studied journalism um, at QUT in Brisbane. And from there, I, I originally was wanting to move into radio. I really loved radio. Um, and it seemed to be what my lecturers were pushing me towards. Um, but I fell into print. You know, you, you, whatever your first job you get, you just take it because you're so desperate for a job. And it happened to be at a magazine company and then that sort of became my path. So I think that radio is sort of like unfinished business for me. And maybe that's at the heart of why when I set to write my first, when I sat down to write my first novel, um, I made Harvey Beam a radio announcer. So there was, you know how writers, we just do these things to... I don't know, fixed parts of ourselves. That was my little tick, ticking of a box. Didn't it's get like, to be a radio announcer. I'll just write about one. It's like, it's, you almost, that's the, I think that's the fun thing about stories. It's like you get to create a life that you may have, you haven't lived or, you know, you've had these little inklings. You can, you can create yeah. a whole, a whole other story from that. So that's excellent. Absolutely. It's just so um, liberating when you let yourself go. And, and, and really I didn't do that till later in life because there is that pressure just to maintain a career. And I did that for, you know, several decades and I taught journalism as well. Um, and then I, then actually starting to write creatively was very much a toe-dipping exercise and it was all squeezed in around the paid jobs and keeping the house running and three kids fed and watered. Um, and the, only, the first time I ever actually stopped to write full-time, as in, like I said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit work and take six months to write this book, was with the one that's being launched um, next next week. But um, because I... Look, I think also I was I was thinking very apocalyptically at the time because COVID had hit and I thought, wow, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. I might as well quit my job and write a book. I, no, it was, I, I want to dive into this more because that it is 
go you for making that decision, especially especially at a time of COVID. But what 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 was it that drove you to be like, you know what, I am going to give myself this six months. Um, it's going to be okay. I'm going to get a job after it. Um, I think that for so many writers, it is a lot to write on the side. Like you said, you're like your first book, you're, you're writing on the side, you're working, you're trying mm. to keep food on the table. You've got a whole family to look after. And then to be like, no, I'm going to give myself this time. And I'm, I'm believe and trust yeah. that this is going to come out for me. What really was the decision to, to do that? Um, I really hated my job. <laughs> well, <laughs> <just> then. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. My job, I loved my job. It had become all consuming because of COVID. I was running the communications team for a university. Universities have a lot of pain points when it comes to a pandemic and no comms team was set up for a pandemic. And I just, um, for a considerable period of time, worked um, 16 hours a day, no weekends, um, phone rings all, all hours of the night. Um, and I started to think, um, well, it was, I think I describe it as cancer growing stuff. I actually grew a cancer in that time. It was so stressful. And I started to think, how do I get out of this without actually being that person who goes, guys, I can't handle it. I'm getting out. <laughs> no one wants to be that person. Cause then you just, you know, that that's that you live with that forever and you want to leave on good terms. You love all these people. So I said, guys, I'm going to go write that other book. And I think I might have said something about a contract, but I didn't actually have a contract. Uh, first time I've admitted that. Anyway, um, I said, so I'm going to go and write a book. And everyone was so happy for me because, you know, everyone wants, you know, you, you, we tend to applaud those people who make the creative leap and it's all very brave, blah, blah, blah. We had lots of parties. There were flowers. There were cards. I felt great. And then I got home. I remember like it was yesterday, I sat down and I thought, shit, I actually have to write this book. I've told everyone and it was a very different writing experience to the first one. So Afternoons with Harvey Bean back in 2015-ish, what came out in 2018, um, was had no pressure on me at all. Like this thing might never get published. It probably won't. I just wanted to get this story out. This, this story had been niggling away for me. And so it was really about writing for pleasure with a question mark over anything happening with it. So the fact that it did get published um, by Fremantle Press was just a huge um, icing on the cake, cherry on top for me, um, and it was a wonderful experience. And then the second experience that I've just described obviously started in a completely different, um, in different circumstances. And I put a time on it because, you know, we had to live on one income for six months. I said, look, I can do this in six months, I said to my husband. I really didn't know if I could because the other one took me three years. But, hey, um, talk, big, talk it up big. <laughs> You know, bite off more than you can chew. Um, so I said, I can do this six months. Can we do this? Can we live on your wage for six months? He said, Carrie, yep, look, it's fine. It'll be tough, but we can do it. I said, cool. And then I kid you not, two weeks after that decision, I got home from work on, a, sorry, I got home from the shops on a Friday afternoon, did some grocery shopping, got in and saw that my husband's car was in the driveway at three o'clock in the afternoon, which is unheard of. And I thought, what's going on? And turns out he'd been made redundant. Wow. So <laughs> when it rains, it pours. <laughs> like... Oh my gosh. You know, curveball. And the next curveball was at my eldest daughter who lives um not who doesn't live with us. She's 25, she lives in Fremantle, she's a teacher, but she um she had a part-time job then. She had started teaching and she lost that job because of COVID and we had to cover her rent for several months on no income. So 
I, um, but you know, even with all those pressures, my husband said, still finish the book and bless him for doing so. But it, it therefore meant that I was writing under considerable duress, to be honest with you, and a lot of pre pressure that I put on myself. Um, it was a totally different writing experience. So now I know what both feel like. Um, and probably moving forward, I would try and do a combination of the two where you still remember to make it pleasurable, but also you keep yourself accountable to deadlines mm. because these things don't have to take 10 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, lots of them do and they're beautiful for it. But I know we can write quicker. Um, not that sounds like I'm turning it out. It was, and it didn't end up taking me six months. By the way, it took me nine months. Yeah. Um, so I did blow out that deadline. Um, but nevertheless, the story that 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 I was writing about this second novel was so had been a really compelling topic to me way before I decided to throw in the job. So it wasn't like I sat down and went, "Hmm, what will I write about?" Like this had already been an obsession with me. This idea of um, midlife relationships, middle-aged marriage. Are we meant to be with people beyond 15, 20 years? How do we move through space and time at the same rates? Is that even conceivable? And I'd had all these relationships around me in recent years, good friends and, and, a, and a further a circle that's wider than that as well, um, where those relationships of a certain vintage were just collapsing like dominoes. And I thought, you know, what's, what is going on here? Um, they were all collapsing for different reasons, but the common thread was the vintage of them. And I too have been married for two decades now and, and ours wobbled at, at times. Uh, in fact, we seem to be work best when we are in a crisis. So, so the COVID thing was great, but um, <laughs> it worked well for us. Yeah. But um, so I guess ha already having had workshopped and thought about this, this thing that I really wanted to write about and having already done a lot of research on it, because I, I also met a woman at when I was working at the university, a researcher who is also a marriage counsellor of many years experience. And I used to talk to her about, you know, ways to promote her research because that was my job. And I one day I said to her, you know, I have this idea for a book that's been sort of festering away um, around a marriage counsellor, a very experienced marriage counsellor who gets blindsided herself in her own marriage. And I said, do you think that's, is that silly? Is that like inconceivable? She said, not at all, Carrie. And then she loaded me up with books and advice and she's, she was a wonderful mentor. So I knew I was onto something good. So it wasn't hard to write under pressure and fast, as in not fast, as in many hours a day, when you are already really like wedded to the idea. Mm, yeah, there's, there's so much in that I want to unpack and, unpack and part of that is research, but also part of that is sticking to that deadline and creating that process. So you've given yourself that six months and then it, you know, it, it does come out to nine, but what does your everyday look like for that? Cause I, I agree with you. I think, you know, you can wait for the muse to come, but you can also structure it around your life, especially when you have, we kind of have to <laughs> in the lives that we yeah. lead. So yeah, what did your everyday look like? And yeah. Your, couple your of things were important for me. One is to write early. Um, I don't mean at five o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm not a morning person in that sense, but um, to, to definitely write from about nine o'clock to one o'clock. I found that through experience that that's my, my, um, my purple patch, that's my sweet spot. 
Um, then I need to take a break and go and walk and reflect on what I've been writing. And then some days on a good day, I might come back and revisit it late in the afternoon because there's just something else I want to, you know, to do. Or more often I'll come back and I'll plan out what I'm going to write the next day. So that the next day I'm going to hit the ground running. I'm not going to spend the first two hours staring at the ceiling or at my shoes going, oh, where am I going from here? You know, so I have become a lot more organised about that. I... I tend to think that each book, oh, when I say each book, like two novels, so, you know, <laughs> those, those I, I tend to um, want a different habitual ecosystem for each one. So I want to write somewhere different. I, I've tended not to be historically someone who writes the creative fiction at home because it's where I do everything else. Mm -hmm. So the first novel I wrote in our, like 90% of it was written in my local library. I physically packed up my computer each day and like a job and went to the library because as I've always mentioned to you with my grandma, I, I think I just have this um, really positive affinity with two libraries. I love being surrounded by stories. And these days, you know, libraries are actually, there's more stories among the people there than there are on the shelves. The libraries are so many things to so many people. So you, you, you're sort of, you're listening to all the white noise, but you're really like observing life a microcosm or a cross-section of it anyway. And so I wrote that in the library. Then when I came to write this one, I thought, no, I can't be the library because that that I need to be in a different headspace, different characters, different, you know, let's just change it all up again. So I started writing most, I wrote most of this one in my friend's co-working space that she has. She has a co-working space in the suburbs where lots of people come in and um, do all sorts of things. And that also just forced me, I think, to, you know, put on the pants and the bra and the shoes and go out of the house and do it and treat it like a job. And if I did four hours, that's fantastic. If I did three, that's good. Um, rarely, to be honest, did I do more than that because there's something about the writing process that is kind of mentally exhausting. And when I have pushed through it and pushed through and tried to do five or six hours, I'd read those last hours back the next day and go, that was, that was crap. So I know that I've got to do it in those four hours. The other thing I do um, is I keep a daily word count just for myself, like uh, because it's like having the steps app on your phone, you know, and you, you just check it out of curiosity. You just want to have that little record each day. For some, in some way, it is motivating to me. Like today, before our interview, I wrote down that I wrote 537 words today, which is actually not that great. Lately, I've been trying to hit um, 900 or 1,000. But I still wrote, wrote it down, even though I'm embarrassed to write down a smaller number because it's my record. And the minute I start fudging it or, or not doing it, I, I fear calamity. <laughs> <laughs> it's keeping yourself accountable, 100%. Yeah. 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 And just also because I think even those days where you only write a few words, because not every day is a good writing day, it's important to remind yourself that um, it's a game of inches. Someone, in fact, that was the best advice I ever received from anyone about writing was it's a game of inches. If you, that, that to me reminds me that this huge marathon that we do when we write an arc of a, of a novel um, is, is, is a lot of different increments, increments you know, pushed together. And I have to, um, on the days when the big arc seems too overwhelming, I say to myself, literally, Carrie, remember, it's a game of inches and you did a couple of inches today. That is the best. I'm, I need to write that down like on my desk. So I, so I see that every single day. I love that it's a game of inches. That's a beautiful yeah, it, it's about. so motivating because you know 
that every small step is a step in the right direction. And, you know, I think some people, like I've had lots of um, people come to me in, in recent years and who are want to be writers, who want to make that next step and, um, and want to know, okay, what's the, you know, what's the secret template? What's the package? What do I do? You know, is there an app? And I say, well, you know what, as far as I know, everyone I know who writes, and I've met a lot of other writers now, everyone's path in has been different. So there is no one template, but the common thing is that they all started with a single word. They started with half an inch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they can't, you can't get around or short, there's no shortcuts. You have to put every single inch down. Yeah, that's yeah. so beautiful. And, that, and that's and that's how you have two amazing published books now. So, and and you're right. So you write. Is there another? There's another one in the works. If you're writing on words. Yeah, now. actually. Um, so what I was when I mentioned I was writing today. That's the next novel. Um, because my publisher for this one, um, kindly and unexpectedly offered me a two book deal. Oh, so when you've got an actual contract, that is hugely motivating. <laughs> um, you know, you do have to actually do the thing. So I am, and I'm back working again because, um, So, but I think I've got the balance right now where I've, I'm working three days a week. Um, I'm actually working as the comms manager for Writing WA, which is the yeah. peak body for writing here in WA, which is, you know, so perfect because as yeah. a comms manager, you sort of have to drink the Kool-Aid and whatever you're promoting, but you don't need to convince me about, you know, the benefits or wonders of writing. I, I'm yeah. all in. So... But that three days means that those other those other days of the week, I I am actively writing. I'm not wasting any of those days. Yeah. So I think that's the balance. But it's taken me, you know, okay, 49 years to get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think okay. I think you could learn that a lot earlier than I did. <laughs> but now, now you are in the perfect like that's a perfect job to be surrounded by all these incredible people, but also mm. to pass on everything that you've learned as well. And to still be able to um, publish and write and do more of it. So when you finished your um, nine months, one was the uh, of writing the current book. When when was the how was the process to getting published of this one? So it did take it. Yeah. Um. So I could I could have taken it back to Fremantle Press and they would have had a look at it for sure. Um. But a friend of mine in Sydney convinced me that. This, this novel was a bit more commercial and that I should take it to a friend of hers who is an agent in Sydney. And I did that. And, um, and that resulted in um, her picking it up and, um, and I thought, great, got an agent. Oh my God, I've never had an agent. How cool is this? Let's go, P- publish. But she took actually quite a while to find the right home for it. So like months and months. And so I started to think that maybe it was just her and me that dug it. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, awkward. Um, but then she found the perfect home in um, a firm press in Melbourne. Um, and before I did do that, though, I went back to Fremantle Press and said, you know, I ran through all my thinking and I said to them, I had an absolutely amazing experience with you guys. Like it was a beautiful publishing experience. So if me doing this means I'm burning a bridge, um, it's no deal. I'm, I, I won't do it. They couldn't have been happier. They could not have been happier for me, for any writer that then, you know, you know, spreads their wings a bit wider or goes a bit commercial or looks a bit more East Coast. They they still w- want to have you around. They're coming to my launch. Um, so I'm so happy that I was able to do, to make that shift um, without, 
you know, and do it in a nice way and keep those friendships intact. But I do think a firm who, who see this as a piece of women's commercial fiction, um, it's have are probably, yeah, this, it, I think the book's where it needs to be. But look, in answer to your question, which took forever, I'm so sorry, I just talk in circles. Um, it was, it took a lot longer than I thought. It probably took uh, 10 months. Yeah. Post the writing process, yeah. Post the writing process, where and in, in that time, you know, your confidence, you just think, well, this is this might just not might not happen. Okay, just pretend this never happened and keep move on, apply for jobs. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden, you so, get this call, but it's not only one book deal; it's two. So it it does patience does pay off. <laughs> yeah, that was really unexpected. And even my agent said to me because I said to her, oh, "What do you think? Is this is this normal? Is this good? Do I say yes?" And she said, "This is very unusual, Carrie. Just do it, take it." <laughs> and um, so I'm super happy because I'm doing what I love, and more importantly, you know, the stories are getting out there. Um, this one in particular, um, not sorry, the one that's that's coming out next week, I think is just one that will. Um, really lend itself to lots of really rich conversations mm. um, about relationships and about the weight of time and about and about the pressures of family life and womenhood and um, there's just a lot in there that, that I know my friends and I talk about all the time. So I think um, as a topic and I think it's going to be a good one for book clubs, et cetera. I really hope so because I guess for me the there's just no point. The whole point is connecting with people. The best bit yeah. is when people come back to you and say, oh, my God, that is so like the story that happened to me. Let me tell you about how my husband did this. You know, um, what, a, what a privilege to have people bringing their stories to you, given that stories are my currency and they're the thing that I've loved ever since I was little. And then they're, they're coming to me because I put this thing out in the world. I mean, that's, to me, like the definition of magic. It's just, it's beautiful. It's why you do it. Yeah, and it's the complete turnaround. Like you're a storyteller who is infused by life and the real life situations. And then to be able to represent that in a beautiful book mm. of fiction where people do, you know, even if they are talking about this, it's, it, it opens them up more to more conversations and that should be talked about. So you are talking about a lot of things in the book like, um, you know, relationship breakups, marriage counselling, and there's also a disability aspect in there as well. So mm. you did give us a little bit about um, the research that you went into. That's excellent research <laughs> for the married, uh, sorry, for the relationship counsellor. Um, how did you touch on something like disability? Is it something you've personally been affected with or how, how did you make sure that that was portrayed in the correct way? Well, that, you know, I really was careful about that because I myself, up until um, five years ago, I really hadn't had anyone close to me, like really close to me in my sphere, um, have a disability, live with a disability, um, or even work in that space. I don't know how I've navigated that for so long, but it's always been a step removed. Yeah. And then within the space of five years, two um, things happened really close to me. One was that a very good friend of mine um, who lives in Mackay, um, her son had a quad bike accident and tragically became um, a quadriplegic and he was 18. And then um, not long after, my neighbour um, had a terrible fall that resulted in her, she, and she was my age, with kids my age, um, and she also um, became, um, had quadriplegia. Um, and so there were these 
and I'm, I guess I'm, um, you know, I don't know how you, I'm an empath and I, and I'm and an observer and you watch these things and they, and they, um, and they, and they just break your heart because to watch someone's life so cat catastrophically changed, not just them, but um, their family, you know, what it does to a family, you know, how it just changes everything. Um, I, I became really um, sympathetic and, and also sort of, you know, really interested in that. I did, I did, you know, have helped those families too. And so you, you are close to it all. And I started to think that I wanted to explore that in a character um, because I wanted to, I wanted to try and write a character that has a disability but isn't their disability because the people I know who who got struck down, you know, who who became who had to have a life then with a disability really wanted to not be seen. They want, they want to be seen beyond the wheelchair. Now, I know that's not the case for everyone, but I really could see how important it was to them that, that they not be defined solely by this. Mm. And, and so I um, did a few things, but I think in terms of research, but I think the most profound thing was I put the, put the feelers out there for anyone who could um, put me in touch with someone who had an acquired disability, so not someone who was born with a disability, but who had an acquired disability, who had in, who in some way um, had, a, had a life that, you know, really um, um, exemplified their ability. And, you know, one thing led to another, and I was put onto this fellow called Mike Rowney, who, who lives in Fremantle, and he um, used to be, a, he was a sailor before he had a catastrophic incident, uh, accident, and when, after his recovery, which was quite um, prolonged, he, um, and after he, you know, reconciled with being, wanting to be here or not wanting to be here anymore, which is the saddest part of it all, he decided he wanted to try and go back to the thing that had made him happy and made him feel free and made him feel able, which in his case was sailing. So he bought an old folk boat and he modified it himself to be able to basically, you know, sit in the cockpit and work everything, all the pulleys, everything from a sitting position and, and then teach himself to, to do that and to keep doing these epic solo journeys that he did. And, um, he spent a lot of time with me. He introduced me to his boat and he talked a lot about that when he, about going back in time to when he first had the injury in hospital when you're really facing these, you know, monumental life changes and decisions. Um, I don't think I could have, I don't think I would have been game to, to persevere with the story if he hadn't shared so much with me. Mm. And he even then asked to, no, I asked him, would he be happy to read, you know, read it, the manuscript once it was done so I really knew and if the, that I got it right and and he was happy too and he was really happy with um how it was handled and so I'm really really pleased with that because I and the people that have read it who've come back to me say that very quickly this this character of James becomes a character like any other not the guy in the wheelchair but he's a character who is kind of like handsome and a bit funny and sometimes it's a bit annoying and he's just a fleshed out character so I, I guess it was a bit you know it was probably a bit bullshit of me to do that but I also did listen to a lot of podcasts I listened to um uh, Dylan Alcott's amazing podcast about, about disability and ability um and also interviewed his partner um Chantelle Otten who is um a sexologist in, yeah. and who specializes in that area so 
yeah, lots of research for this book, much more so than the first one. But obviously that's because these are very, very important issues to get right and not to get wrong because the damage you can do to people who are already in pain and, and doing it a bit tougher than the rest of us, well, it can be significant. So I was very mindful of that. Absolutely. You want to bring a real life story to it and make people be seen and heard, not hurt in that way, 100%. And I yeah. even, I can tell by the way, the way you speak and, and the research and the empathy that you put in this and how much real life is, I'm, I'm, I literally have a firm press sending me one right now and I've been dying for a a copy because if anyone who's listening, um, me and Carrie and I are speaking on the 21st. So the book is out on the 28th. So it's out next week, but everyone will hear this on um, the 9th. So it will be out in all your favourite bookstores to pick up a copy of So Many Beats of the Heart, which I highly recommend everyone getting a copy of. Um, Now there's a couple of things I just wanted to quickly touch on uh, you at the end on the end with so you've already given us some beautiful advice do you mind telling us a little bit about um what you do with WA writers and how people in WA could get involved with that if they are up-and-coming writers and and how they can help them out as well there's so many good writing um organize like centers and groups and um like in every state there are there is so much good stuff happening and I guess what our organization does is sort of be the umbrella on top that makes sure we're collating all the information and therefore and resources to actually point people in the right direction so that nothing falls through the cracks if you come to us and say I've just written my family's memoir what do I do now or I'm writing a book that um I need some legal advice on I need to change some names what do I do now or I am new to town and I want to join a book club. Where do I, you know, all of that, we we point you in the right direction. So there's, um, it, we're a, sort of that overarching body. And, and in fact, it wasn't until I got this job, to be honest with you, that I realised just how much there is out there that is of help that I have not avowed myself of and wish I had. I especially wish I'd um, gone at least, I got, got into a writing group and gone at least once a week or once a fortnight to a writing group because the the people that I know that do get so much from that because mm. it's such a solitary, as you would know, it is just the like sometimes it's just the loneliest thing in the world to do. It yeah. is really solitary. And on a bad day, you just think this is like dumb. <laughs> this yep. is not good for my <laughs> mental health. Um, so I wish I'd avowed myself more of the resources that are available. There's more than you think. Um, and for people who are in my state, you know, um, get onto writingwa.org's website and have a look at the resources that we've got for writers and readers. Um, it's a real privilege to, to work for an association like this that just um, is all about helping people tell their stories. Yeah, yeah, that's so great, so true. And if you are in a different straight state, you've got Queensland Writer Centre, SA, Victoria, yeah, New Writers South Wales. Victoria. Yeah, yep, they're all and they, and they all work together. There's sort of a, there's a whole um, overarching, we all communicate, all those different um, state centres communicate so that we're all on the same page. And literally... Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish. I'm going to give away a copy of So Many Beats of the Heart. And at the end of every um, podcast, we ask the author for someone to win the copy. They just have to fill out a writing prompt of one to two paragraphs on whatever the specific author gives us that week. So what is your writing prompt for us this week, Carrie? Okay, Olivia, I hope it's not too lengthy. Um, No, I I like these ones. Okay, I'll read it out. Okay. She looks furtively around the packed train carriage at today's indiscriminate selection of people sharing a scene of her life. Every day she hopes that one of them will see that she's not meant to be on this train or in this life, that something different, something better is meant to be happening to her right now or very soon. 
Every day she hopes for nothing more than to be seen. And today, at last, she is. That's wow. it. Wow, that's beautiful. I love that. I'm very, very, very oh, excited to see what people have to say about that one. That Me is too. absolutely gorgeous. Let's, yes, yes, yeah, I'll, send I'll send you through. I'll send you through what people do. send through. <laughs> yeah, Excellent. that would be great. Yeah. Awesome. So how, um, obviously, people can pick your book up anywhere in any bookstores, I highly recommend getting around it. But where, if anyone wants to reach out to you or have any further questions, um, where's the best place to pe for people to contact you? Okay, well, I'm, yeah, I'm a social media oversharer. So you can find me on Facebook and um, Twitter and um, uh, Instagram under my own name. Uh, I probably should do that more professionally, but anyway, it is what it is. Um, I've thought about TikTok, but my kids tell me, no way, no deal. You're not going anywhere near it. You'll ruin it for us. So it's just those three at the moment. Um, awesome. You can also email me at carryon at bigpond.com. Perfect. Excellent. I'll put those all in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited oh, thank to you. hear everyone's um, writing prompts and good luck for launch week too. It's exciting. But thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. How beautiful is Carrie? I hope everyone really enjoyed that listen and took on all her wonderful advice. I surely have. Um, yes, and make sure that you get yourself a copy of So Many Beats of the Heart, which is now available in bookstores everywhere. And to enter Carrie's writing prompt, all you have to do is head to oliviahillier.com slash podcast, fill it out there, and you could be getting a copy of her book sent straight to your door. Excellent. Have a wonderful week, guys, and I will chat to you again next week.